Podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of the Beyond the Known podcast, I'm joined by Kimberly Krieger, founder of FEW, the Fellowship of Extraordinary Women, a network she founded in 2014 full of women who are passionate about faith, family, and business. Few offers women of faith monthly women's forums, special events, publishing, leadership training, and coaching certification. Welcome to the podcast, Kimberly. Thank you for having me, Paul. That You nailed it. That's exactly what we do. Well, good, because I spent 15 <laughs> minutes practicing it, so I'm glad that I was able to execute on that. Well, nice to have you here, my friend. So let's kind of get right down to business here. Talk to me a little bit about Few and how you decided to found this wonderful collection of women. Yes. So I was a coach for several years when I launched my business starting in 2011. And I went to an event somewhere else in a different part of the country that was specifically for women, a women's leadership event. And the woman hosting and training had a network of women. She was helping them publish their stories. And when I sat in that room for two full days with women from all over the country, I was just struck by the hearts of women. If you talk to women, Paul, which I know you do a lot in business, but probably not about what I'm about to say, uh, but if you talk to women about their feelings about other women, they either really, really like women or they don't like women. There's really no in-between with women. And I was never in the category of, I just can't stand women, but I didn't love them. I had great friends. I didn't feel a passion for them, I guess, until that event. I walked out of that room like, women are incredible. Everybody in that room wanted to help people. Everybody in that room wanted to help people in their own way and out of their own story. Every woman in that room wanted to take all their pain and all their loss and use it to help other women prevent some pain and loss. And I think that's why when I left there, I was like, how can I do more for specifically for women? I was coaching men and women, focusing a lot on family. But when I left there, it was like, women are my thing. And then I had a secondary thought to that. Why can't I have a network of women that is passionate about faith? And why can't I help women tell their stories? And, you know, the short answer was, you can. And that answer really came from God. And that's where my faith came in. It was like, okay, how do I do that? And so I was about one year later that FEW was born. The Fellowship of Extraordinary Women hosted its first event. One year later, we collected authors for our first publication. One year after that, we hosted our first women's leadership conference. And this year in 2020, we are hosting our very first FEW Institute of Certified Coaches. So it's just been an extraordinary ride feel like I haven't worked today. I have not been bored, but I have not worked. It's just been a joy. Yeah, that's outstanding. A lot of exciting stuff going on with that organization for sure. What type of women would get the most value out of the few organization? Well, I think that, you know, the, the old adage that like attracts like is it definitely is accurate when it comes to few. Because my passions are faith, family, and business, I tend to draw women passionate about faith, family, and business. And 
if you're not passionate about those things, you probably wouldn't have as good of a time as we're all having <laughs> if you attended one of our events. So that doesn't mean that you're not welcome, but you know, uh, people tend to gather with like-minded people. So that's really the women that are drawn to few. The other thing that's unique about it is it's women who are really growing in the word. It's not just women who are churchgoers or women who have faith, but it's women who are actively developing in their faith, which to me is exceptionally exciting because one of my missions, I guess you could say, in the body of Christ is to teach women to study the word. And I'm a huge believer that without being in the word, you're not going to grow. So having a network of women who are passionate about being in the word, knowing the word, applying the word to their life and faith, family, and business, that's one of my favorite things about FEW. So what does the future of this organization look like? I mean, do you see few chapters all over the country? Do you see you guys getting into various markets? I mean, as the visionary here, as the founder of this organization, what does the future of the Fellowship of Extraordinary Women look like for you? I usually answer this question by saying, I have a small vision world domination. (laughs) Just a tiny little one. Just a little plan, world domination. What do I mean by that? Well, we want to see a few women all over the globe in every part of the world. We want to see women who have made a decision to live the extraordinary life Jesus died to give them. And we want to see them on every continent because our job here, whether you're a man or a woman, you're in business, you're in ministry, you're in education, government, wherever you are whatever sphere of influence, if you're a believer in Christ, your job is to build the kingdom. And that should look like growth, and that should look like building. And so for me, when I think about the vision of few, it's about building the kingdom. And I want to see kingdom-minded women all over the globe growing in their faith, growing in their skills as it relates to family and business, and also them growing the kingdom. So when you grow the kingdom, the people you work with should be growing the kingdom. And one of the reasons I envision women all over the globe is because I can't do this alone. And so this army of women, they're not my army, they're God's army, and they're helping me and I'm helping them. And we all have one mission. One of the things that I like most about you is your ability to overcome challenges, your ability to overcome obstacles that have been placed in front of you, your ability to, not always easy, I get it, but to overcome this adversity, which I think is the mark of a good entrepreneur and a very flexible person in the sense that you're able to make your own way despite some of the challenges that you faced in life. And yeah, if you don't mind walking us through this story a little bit, I'd certainly appreciate it. I know you faced a lot of adversity in 2004 when you were hit by a car going out for a run. Would you care to tell us a little bit more about that episode? Yeah. So first, I just want to speak to what you said about my ability to overcome adversity because if you had asked me for the better part of my life, do you, do, you, do you have that ability? I would have said no, because I didn't see that in myself. And I really thought it was just an ability you have or don't have. And so I would want your listeners to know that this is not something, oops, you got it, or yay, you got it, or oops, you didn't. Overcoming adversity is a decision. And what I would say, Paul, is that I just got better at making that decision the longer I've lived and the more I've walked with God. Because you can choose not to. 
you can choose to let adversity beat you down and keep you where you are, but you can also choose to not let it. So um, it was actually in 2014 that I was hit by the car and, you know, just went out for a morning run on vacation. My husband was back at my father-in-law's house sleeping. I told him, I'm going for an early morning run. Don't get up. Don't turn your phone on. So <laughs> here I am in the middle of an intersection and I can't get a hold of him. I can't reach anybody. And of course, being the day of, of speed dial, I didn't know the house phone number. <laughs> I was like, and I was laying on my phone because it was in my armband. So it was quite some time in the hospital before I even reached my husband and family to tell them where I was. But, you know, the thing about that was I was laying in the hospital bed, couldn't walk, you know, hadn't even yet gotten into a wheelchair but knew that my trip home would be in a wheelchair from that vacation. And I was just talking with the Lord, and he said, do you want to know why, why the car hit you? And I was like, I don't need to know, God, I trust you. You know, we've been through enough that, you know, whatever you allow to go through the filter of your hand, I trust you. And he's like, well, I'm going to tell you anyway. And I was like, okay. <laughs> he said, you can tell the size of your destiny by the size of your opposition. And he just dropped that right there, and then there was a long pause. And I just sat and chewed on that for a minute, and I went, oh, so this car hit me, like, to kill me. Well, then I must have a really big destiny up ahead. I must have a lot to do for the kingdom if my enemy really just wants me totally out of the game or, or crippled. You know, he'll settle for crippled. And thankfully, my injuries were temporary, but that was a turning point for me, Paul. I was like... I literally said, wow, he is dumb. I mean, <laughs> he's just not a smart adversary because does he not know me? I am like a stubborn person. You try to kill me, I'm going to come back stronger. And so in that moment, I said, okay, God, then guess what? I'm coming back stronger, more healthy. I'm going to get into the best shape of my life, and I'm going to run this race longer than I was going to before. I don't know if we can actually extend our lives. Hezekiah did, King Hezekiah did with prayer in the Bible. But in that moment, I'm like, I'm just going to be around as long as humanly possible, running my race for revenge. And so that was how I overcame that obstacle. And all through my recovery and the pain and the physical therapy and walkers and wheelchairs and crutches and chronic pain and sleepless nights, that was my goal. It was to come back stronger better and to do more than I thought was possible because that kind of revenge is productive. That kind of revenge is the kind of revenge God can work with. Yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff. You kind of alluded to this just a minute ago, Kimberly, but how would you say the Kimberly pre-crash <laughs> is different from the Kimberly post-crash? That's a great question. Oh, wow. Well, I'm a different person because I have a new confidence I have a new belief in what's possible. And I think that's why overcoming adversity is so key to becoming who God made you to be. Because it's sometimes not until you accomplish something that you truly believe things are possible that you once thought were impossible. And so after the crash, I would have told you I ran one half marathon. And I would have said, wow, I ran one half marathon. That's pretty amazing. But after the crash, I was like, I'm running a full marathon. Like something just changed in me where more things became possible. 
And so 11 months after my accident, I ran a half marathon. And one year later, I ran a full marathon. And in between there, I ran, I don't know, 10 or 12 other races. And I may have been done with racing until that crash. And so I think the post-crash Kimberly is, she's bolder. She sees bigger what's possible and even just more determined. I'm more determined to do the things God called me to do. And I think that you talked about that emotional resilience and that grit earlier. Darren Hardy says that's the number one trait that an entrepreneur needs. It's not skills. It's not education. You know, it's not even practice your presentation. It is emotional resilience. And that post Kimberly from that accident is so resilient. Like talk about, I get knocked down, I get up again. (laughs) I get run over and I get up again. Yeah, for sure. It's going to take more than a car to keep Kimberly Krieger down. That's for sure. It was a sure. nice car, too. It was the 67 Firebird. Wow. Well, you are a classy lady, after all, so that would make a lot of sense. I was just grateful it was low to the ground and not an SUV because we might be having a different conversation today. Yeah, thank goodness we're not. That's for darn sure. Well, one of the things that you had said, I think, is reason for optimism for some of the individuals listening to this podcast, where you talk about that ability to overcome adversity. And some people might have previously thought, well, either you're born with it or you're not. There's not a lot I can do. This is the hand I was dealt in life. This is the lot that I was giving. There's not a whole lot I can do about it. So to hear you talk about it being a decision, it being a choice, it being within your grasp, I think gives people some confidence in that regard. But for somebody now that's listening to this that says, I'm an overcomer now, I'm choosing to overcome adversity, what specific steps should they take to realize that goal they've set for themselves? That's a great question, too, because you're right. It's not just a one and done. Well, I've decided to overcome. And then, you know, five months later, look, I overcame. (laughs) So choosing to overcome is step one. And then step two would be education. Whatever that thing is, you got some learning to do. You know, for me, being getting into the best health of my life, I had to become a student of what is health. You know, I thought health meant I exercised. I didn't know there was four pillars of health water, sleep, exercise, and nutrition. So I had one pillar, okay? I had three more pillars to go. And then think about those pillars and the things you can learn about nutrition. I had months and years of learning to do, and I set my heart to do it. And I decided I'm just going to spend my life learning about these pillars of nutrition and health so that I can maintain the health that I'm working so hard for. And so education is huge. You have to be teachable. I have a coach. I love this. He says, some people are coachable. Some people are chokeable. If you want to be an overcomer, don't be chokeable. (laughs) Be coachable and allow other people to speak into your life. Get accountability. I had a coach working with me on my health. I had a a partner that I would do these detoxes with to get my body back from all the surgeries and the medicines and all those side effects of medicine. I thank God for medicine. In my case, I needed it desperately, but the side effects had to be dealt with. And so I had an accountability partner to help me with those things. You know, if you're going to overcome, it's just plan on being a student. Don't think about being the teacher And what's really remarkable about that is when you make a decision to be a student of whatever it is you want to overcome, you'll find yourself as the teacher at some point. It will naturally happen because 
people are going to notice that you are doing more and know more than they are in that area. And they're going to start asking you questions. So that's really cool. That's a fun part of being an overcomer is that you can help others overcome too. So I listen to you talk and I say, all right, I'm going to learn about these four pillars. I'm going to get a coach. I'm going to read books. I'm really going to become a good student and educate myself. Mm -hmm. For some individuals that might not have a lot of time, that seems kind of daunting. That seems like a big time commitment. That seems like a big investment. And I start thinking, call it a scarcity mentality, whatever you want. It's important, but I don't have the time to do that. It's important, but gosh, there's just other priorities. Is it really as time consuming as I might think, or is it a lot easier than a knucklehead like me might imagine? Well, being a coach, I'll tell you to never work on more than one goal at a time. You know, So I'm not going to tell you to work on all four pillars. I'm going to tell you to pick one, and then I'm going to tell you to change one habit. So if you can work on one thing at a time and change one habit at a time and decide I'm going to do this for life, is that overwhelming? So in five years, you've mastered you know, 10 new things or 12 or 20 new things, depending on how quickly you go, versus just saying, I don't have time for that. You know, So it's all approach and mindset. But you know, I looked at it like, well, if I'm going to be a student of this, I'm just going to decide to do that for the rest of my life. That way, I don't have a deadline when I have to know all this. That takes a lot of pressure off. I'm going to become a student today because I determine, Paul, you know, how they say health is wealth, but you don't know that till you lose your health. So for all of your listeners who are in good health, but they don't know anything about the four pillars, take it from me. Invest now. You know, the other thing is I can't afford a gym membership or I can't afford all these supplements or I can't afford to go to all these special, you know, natural people, you know, all these green people. And I decided after being in a wheelchair, I can't afford not to. I had a, an incredible orthopedic surgeon in Florida where my accident happened. And then he referred me to someone back here in Milwaukee at Freighter afterward for my follow-up care. And um, they were two really different men with different styles. And I sat down with my Milwaukee doctor and he's like, well, you know, your x-rays look good. The swelling's going down, but you're going to need two hip replacements in your lifetime. And I walked out of there and I was ticked. I mean, you just, I have this side of me. I can red zone, red line pretty quick. And I just said to my husband, who does he think he is? I am not having two hip replacements in my lifetime. That's not happening. And I made a decision that I was going to take care of my body in such a way that I could reduce the odds that I would need two hip replacements. And, you know, his mindset was, well, you only have so much cartilage there and every step you take, you're going to reduce that cartilage. And my husband looked at me in the appointment. I knew exactly what he was thinking. He's thinking, if you keep running those races, you're going to need those hip replacements even sooner. And I was just like, don't say it. (laughs) <laughs> do not do not say it. I will run. I will continue to live my life and I will take I will be a good steward of my body. If I need one, I need one, but I'm not just going to receive that. I'm not just going to accept that and I'm not going to just be passive about it either. So mindset is huge. It's just huge. You, you decide what kind of life you want to live and do one thing today toward that life. And when I first took a, a parenting with love and logic course, I was so going to go home and do everything I learned night one, Paul. I mean, I went home the next day and I was like, what was that line? What was that thing? What was it? And by day three, I quit. Came back for week two, even though I was done, I quit. I quit on day three, but I went back week two. The thing he opens up with was, by the way, I forgot to tell you guys last week, pick one thing. 
if you try to do everything, you'll quit. And I was like, how did he know? (laughs) But that was such a life lesson. So when I'm doing a course or when I'm teaching Parenting with Love and Logic, I'm like, pick one thing. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because it sounds overwhelming. Pick the thing most relevant to you now. If somebody's listening to you now and they're getting excited, they're getting motivated, I'm going to be the best possible version of myself. Here we go. Yeehaw kind of a thing. (laughs) What do you think is the most important first domino to fall? All things being equal. And I know, again, this might be kind of an individual decision for each person that's listening, but is there one domino you think that would be the smartest domino to fall, the best domino to fall? And if so, what might that be? So this is in the context of being the best I can be. What's the first thing, generally speaking, people need to approach? Yeah, from an education perspective, an improvement perspective, what might be one of the first things that somebody could turn his or her attention to? You know, I'm going to give some advice that I don't like taking, but I have. I've taken it, but I don't like taking it. I'm going to give this advice. Ask three people that know you and love you and will be honest with you. If I were to change anything about me or my life, what do you think would be should be the first or the biggest thing I should work on? Because oftentimes we are blind to our own biggest pitfalls. And asking someone that you love and who really loves you to help you shine a light on those areas, it's scary. It takes vulnerability. But it's a powerful, powerful exercise because it not only causes you to take a, a more, you know, a place of humility and vulnerability, but it shows the people that you're so concerned with changing and growing that you're willing to put yourself out on a pretty big limb and ask a really tough question. If you have older kids, you could ask your children. You know, if you can ask your spouse, you could ask someone who works closely with you at work. And the answers are all going to be different for every one of us. But if you have loving, honest people in your life, they're going to tell you, hey, you know what? You are an amazing person, but your temper is really getting in the way of relationships. And you know you have a temper. You talk about it. So this is no secret. But I'm going to tell you, I think that's the thing you should start with. Where does your passion come from? I mean, you're just, you've got a zest for life, a zeal for life. Your passion is highly infectious, which was why I was excited to have you come to the studio because it's nice to get a a little shot of adrenaline in that regard. Is a lot of this centered around the accident that you were involved with, or have you always kind of had a a bit of a zest for life? No, Paul. Gosh, for many years, my first marriage was to a person who struggled greatly with chemical dependency. I was a pretty textbook enabler without knowing that that was a thing. And we raised a large family. I had 11 children. So most of my days, I was sad or mad. I spent so much of my life in negativity. It was not who I wanted to be. I didn't like looking in the mirror. My middle name is Joy, as I think you may have mentioned in the intro. And my mom told me when I was a kid that God gave her that name for me because she knew that I would bring joy to many people. Well, there was probably two decades of my life where I didn't bring joy to anybody, much less myself. (laughs) Well, I shouldn't say that. I had a handful of friends that when we got together, we had a good time. And when I talk about how sad and down I spent those days and how frustrated I was and how out of control my life felt, people who did know and love me well 
would say, well, every time we got together, you were laughing and smiling. And I'd be like, because you were there. <laughs> you were my oasis, you know? And um, so people always saw that joy in me, but it was not how I felt on the inside. It wasn't until I really began to take full responsibility for the state of my life, do my part to what I call keep my side of the street clean. I began to be okay looking at that person in the mirror who was looking back at me. And I began to become a happier person. I learned that my happiness wasn't other people's responsibility. It was mine. And getting over some of those huge obstacles, like I no longer was an enabler. I was no longer a helicopter. You know, getting away from my drill sergeant parenting and becoming more of the mom I wanted to be. And then starting a new life with my children, even though I was a single mom with 10 kids still at home and it was absolutely daunting. Like daunting isn't even the right word. It was dizzying what I faced every day. But knowing that we could now create a new life for our family, we could create a new culture, a new atmosphere in the home, that excited me. Knowing that being part of the problem also means you get to be part of the solution caused a passion to come up out of me to be a part of the solution and I've just been running with that ever since. So in addition to what you do with the Fellowship of Extraordinary Women, you are also an ordained minister, you're a podcast host, you're a published author, you're an entrepreneur, and you already referenced this, you've got 12 children and five grandbabies. How have you been able to accomplish all that you have professionally and execute at a high level while also being such a great wife, mom, and grandmother in the process. Yeah. So they're not allowed to call me Grandma Paul. My grandma name is Nani, just for the record. So Noted. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple answers to that would be, first of all, just delete the word balance from your vocabulary as it relates to work and life. There is no such thing. It's really about competing priorities. And if you understand that every day you have a different set of competing priorities and you decide which ones win. So that is the secret to spinning all the plates, wearing all the hats, juggling all the balls, that every day you determine which competing priorities win. And so being that I'm passionate about my faith and my family, it's up to me to make make each day a win for those priorities while doing the other things in my life. Now, some days something's really pressing with business, and so that wins. But like some things I've done is carve out Sundays as family time, you know, end my work day at a certain hour on most days, you know, different things like that. It's really boundarying yourself is how you do that. But, you know, I think what people need to understand is if you are a person who was wired for a lot, you know, I always took on more than the average person. And I used to think that was my foolishness, like just bite off more than I can chew. That's what I do. Like, hence the 12 children, you know. <laughs> and my daughter said to me the other day, she goes, I got the best advice. This woman said, have as many kids as you can that you think you can take care of and then have one more. She goes, so mom, which one was your one more? And I said, are you kidding me? I had like five more, okay? I thought I could do six. Then I had five more. Then I had a stepson. So I'm way past what I thought I could handle. But I've come to learn that 
sometimes those circumstances are ordained by God to stretch you and grow you because you don't know what's possible for you. And so to your executives out there that are also parents and want to be highly engaged with your family, you can do that. You can do that. I believe that God can give you the ability, the power, the wisdom, and really the self-discipline to be that person both at work and at home, at church, in your community. If God called you to it, he'll take you through it. Amen to that. So I know you're an author. Could you tell us a little bit about the books that you've written and why those particular subject matters were of such importance to you? Yes. So I'll talk first about my solo book. It's called Free, and it's my personal story of a one-week journey that I took with God to revisit old graves from my past. And at the time, I wasn't talking about it to a lot of people because it's kind of weird. I'm like, I'm literally going to graves, like two actual ones, and then these other figurative graves in my life, like places where I had pain and memories and driving there at night looking like a stalker, sitting outside of homes I didn't live in anymore and businesses I didn't work for anymore and got my journal and my notepad because God wanted to heal some of the residual wounds I had from those places in my life. And that one week ended up being probably the most profound week in my life. And about two months later, I was making my bed and the Lord was like, that's your book. And I knew, Paul, from my 20s, I was going to write a book. I would sit and daydream about my book in my 20s and go, I don't even have a topic because I can't even help myself. (laughs) I would literally go, I'm going to write some book and I got nothing to say. But I believed because God put that dream in my heart. And fast forward to the year I turned 40 and I began to write my book. And so that's probably, if if you're going to ask me to talk about one, I'm going to tell you to read that book because God wants us healed. We're never going to be fully healed on this side of heaven. But what God wants us to be is engaged in the process because the more healed we are, the more people we can help. That book is going to help you heal. And something that was really just mind-blowing that happened when, when women started reading the book, they were contacting me saying, I'm visiting my graves. I couldn't speak. I was speechless. I had no idea my book would start a movement. My book would be the reason other people get in the car and drive to places where they had pain in their life. And I began to watch women heal deeply. And I just was like, Lord, you're brilliant. I mean, who else could come up with like that whole thing? I did not come up with any of it. I went on the journey. I wrote about it. And now other women are going on that same journey and men too. So I would say free would be the book. And then when we established a few publications, we decided that we would do these collaborations and we have multiple authors coming together to write on one topic and tell their story as it relates to those topics. And our effect series is about breakthroughs and miracles and aha moments and those significant times where we, we know that our lives just intersected with God and we're never the same. And then we also have a line of devotionals uh, for women on different topics like grieving, health and wellness. And uh, I can't think of the other one, but yeah. Oh, on identity in Christ. Oh, the most important topic a woman can talk about is our identity in Christ. So we're going to continue publishing these stories, inviting women to contribute, uh, giving them a written platform 
And it also allows them to, if they want to start a speaking career or they want to become a coach, they now have a written work that they can use as their calling card and they can expand and spread their message through the written word as well. And throughout the course of this conversation, you've spoken often and articulately about your faith. Obviously, your faith is a huge part of who you are. Outside of the influence that your faith has had on you, who have been some of the biggest influencers in your life and why? So non-faith type of influences. At least with respect to this question, yeah. Yeah. So I would probably have to say Jim Rohn, Darren Hardy, some of those incredibly wise, wise men who are They're telling you to face your demons. They're telling you to get wise. They're telling you to get to work. I had a lot of character development that I needed, especially when I began my entrepreneurial pursuit. I didn't realize that the two most profound personal development programs are motherhood or parenthood and entrepreneurship. (laughs) If you've got demons to face, you're going to face them in those two arenas, hands down. So hearing from wise men like Jim Rohn and Darren Hardy and and others are just escaping me at the moment, but Stephen Covey, you know, these guys that write incredible material that just has to be chewed on and revisited year after year after year for you to really see it develop in your life. They've played a huge role in my development and especially in my business life. How does one go about developing emotional resilience, equipping themselves to be emotionally resilient? Sounds good, makes a lot of sense. But if somebody says, you know what, today I'm going to start becoming more emotionally resilient, good for you, awesome. (laughs) But practically, how can somebody start taking those first couple steps? Well, I'm going to just identify first the four main emotions that sidetrack or derail women. I can't speak to that for men. Maybe you could, Paul, but for women, it's fear, anger, discouragement, and insecurity. Those are the four biggies for women in business. And so how do you become resilient to those things? Really simply said, but difficult to do. You move through them. So you don't allow those four things to cause you to turn back. You don't allow those four things to stop you from your dream. So when you're frustrated because people aren't doing what they said they were going to do, when you're afraid because you could fall on your face and the whole world is watching, when you're discouraged because this is taking so much longer than I thought it would, you know, or when you're insecure, like I'm going to go speak to a bunch of executives that make five times my income, you know, you go and you do it, you get in front of the room, and you give them the best of what you have. And you forget about what makes you different in those points you were comparing on five minutes ago, and you just bring the best that you have to offer. I did this really cool sales training for these account execs that had accounts like Nike, Home Depot. I mean, I can't imagine what their annual income was. And I walked in there and I gave them the best tips I learned as a mother of 12. And I walked out of there and I took the train back because it was in Chicago. And the whole way home, I'm like, do they have any idea they just got schooled by a mom? I mean, (laughs) like if there was a moment for me to be insecure, that was it. I was in this highly competitive corporate arena and I was giving them the best I got from motherhood. Now they didn't know that, but I did. And so that could have really caused all my insecurities to say, 
I'm not the right fit for your room. And I actually walked out of that training feeling a little shaken, like, I just don't know if that's what they needed because I don't know their world, you know? And I realized I forgot my bag in the room. And so I went back and one of the women came out and said, oh, I'm so glad you came back. I wanted to tell you, this is exactly what we needed. And I walked out of there just like with that little wink from heaven, knowing that insecurity is just never going to serve you. It's not going to fear. All those feelings will not serve you in business. You have to push past them to become resilient. And the only difference between me and maybe someone just starting out is just that I've had a lot more practice going through those things than you have, but you can be just as resilient if you go through each and every time. From your expertise and you've from your training, from your authorship, from being a lifelong student, I think you're a very credible person to ask this question of. When it comes to insecurity, anxiety, doubt, what are some of the root causes of those emotions that you're finding based on your experience? And and how can people potentially avoid going down that road, if at all possible? Well, that's a great question. The doubts and the fears and the insecurities can come from messaging we perceived our whole lives that maybe wasn't even there, you know, that we're less than. Maybe we were a a middle sibling and they tend to just get lost in the shuffle. And so our takeaway from that, our perception as a child is that we're just, we're not enough. It could be actual messaging. People actually said to you, you're not enough. You'll never succeed. You know, it could have been one teacher, one time. And that message has been on loop in our head ever since. It could be just strictly because we're now doing something we've never done before. If you are in uncharted territory for yourself, you're going to have doubt. There's just no way you're going to go do something brand new that you've never done before and not feel a little doubt about, do I got this? (laughs) You know, I think I got this, but do I? And so I think part of it is just identify where that came from and just replace it. You know, you can't overcome negative thinking by stopping. You can't just stop thinking that way. You have to replace it with a different thought. And I have exercises for that and a lot of tools to help people with that. I help women with that. We call them ants, automatic negative thoughts. You got to crush the ants. Just step on those suckers. You cannot tolerate ants in your mind if you want to do great things. And every human has greatness in them. Ants come to take that greatness bite by bite, piece by piece, just like they do your picnic. (laughs) And you just can't let that happen. So, you know, as far as where they come from, it's of of some importance, minimal importance, but more importantly, it's what are you going to do with those thoughts and those doubts? I remember listening to an incredible training, a free webinar. They were having like big name coaches, six or seven of them that were six-figure coaches do this training. And I was listening to it at home. This was at my start. I was brand new. And they were creating their own coaching programs. And they were telling us how to do this and how to do that. And I was just like, wow, I don't know any of that. And I'm not doing any of that. And I don't know that I can even see myself doing any of that. I was full of doubt. Like I listened to this all excited and by the end of it, I was absolutely discouraged. And I think that happens more than people want to admit. They go to a great event and they, they're pumped because they think they're going to leave better. And they leave feeling like they just looked in the mirror and they don't like what they saw. And that's how I felt after listening to that. And 
for me, that's where my faith comes in. And I just said, God, what do I have that these people don't have? You know, like, how do I compete with that? And I heard him so simple, that still small voice. He just said, you have me. You have me. You have the gifts I've placed in you. And you have the call on your life that I've called you to. You have a destiny in me that only you can fulfill. None of them can run your race as well as you can run your race. Focus on your race. Run in such a way to win. And you will not believe what we can accomplish together. I'm assuming this is a pretty fair assessment to make here, but let's just say somebody listening to this podcast today is like most red-blooded human beings. They're feeling a little insecure. And remember, we're enduring a very difficult season right now. I mean, COVID-19 emotionally, physically, economically has wreaked a wide swath of destruction, 40 million people unemployed, small businesses closing, etc. So let's say they're dealing with some insecurity, they're dealing with some anxiety, they're dealing with some doubt. Pretend for a moment you're talking directly to them. Mm. What would you say to them in an effort to try to encourage them at this very moment of their lives? Well, being a mom of 12, I'm going to give them a mom talk, okay? I will tell you what I will tell, and I do tell every one of my children over and over again, that you have greatness inside of you. You have a purpose only you can fulfill. You have gifts, talents, and a set of experiences that work together to make you exceptionally valuable in one or more areas of life to others. Your purpose is going to be found in serving others. I would encourage the insecure person to take their focus off of their circumstances, even off of their limitations internally and their flaws, and begin to focus on how you can serve people, how you can make other people's lives better right now. And COVID is so relevant to that because the the most incredible businesses that I know of and I see have found ways to serve people during COVID. And that's totally exploding their businesses right now. They're not being insecure about economy and what's happening and losing customers. They're going, how do we serve and help people during this difficult time? And therein lies the key to fulfillment. Your purpose isn't really about you. It's about the people who need you. So I would say get the microscope off of yourself and your flaws and get a big old telescope and look at the size of this world and the number of people out there who need you. And as soon as you shift from that microscope to that telescope, it is amazing how much more encouraged you feel, how much more hope you have. And you can get started today by just helping one person. I've made a decision that if I only have one thing on my headstone on my memorial stone one day I wanted to say she was a hope dealer you know like I just want people to know wherever she went she brought hope whether it was in business ministry her family her friendships her marriage I want to be the person that is perpetually hopeful because hope is as contagious as fear if not more hope is as contagious as anger if not more what we need right now in the world is hope Well, watch out, world. I'm ready to get back to it. Boy, oh boy. Just try to stop me after a nice dose of encouragement like that. Awesome stuff. Thank you, Kimberly. It's obvious to see why you're so good at what you do and what a tremendous blessing you've been for others, especially with a worldview like that. 
So Kimberly, there's been a new addition to your life in some way. I do understand that in March, you took the step of becoming an ordained minister. Congratulations to you. Thank you. Just curious, what made you take that step and what are you doing with that ministry? That's a great question. So that was on my heart. God really put on my heart to become ordained several years ago. And I had, you know, gotten started with the process, but it was one of those things like talking about spinning all the plates that I kept saying, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. And this year, every year at the beginning of the year, I asked God for my word for the year. And in 2020, my word was ambassador. And I was like, okay, I'm feeling the pressure. The Lord's like, get out there and represent my kingdom in ministry. And I always knew that there would be a ministry and a business, but I started with the business according to what God was leading me to do. And so I bought this little bracelet. I'm wearing it today. It says ambassador on it. I usually do that every year with my word of the year to remind me. And then uh, lo and behold, you know, COVID comes on the scene. And I'm wrapping up my paperwork because suddenly I have time, Paul. (laughs) We're all home all the time, right? And so I'm taking the test and I'm going through the motions to do this. And at the same time, I had asked God, what do you want me to be doing with my business during COVID? And he said, serve people. And I just began to serve people. I was praying with people one-on-one. I was doing online events, you know, donating my time, encouraging people wherever I had an opportunity And at the same time, the ordainment came through right before we couldn't gather with groups of 10 or more. So I was able to gather with a group of like eight people and receive my ordainment and celebrate. And immediately thereafter, I was launched into ministry. And it just shows you that God's timing is perfect. And on the heels of that, I was invited two different missions, one in Guatemala later this year, another in South Africa. And so all these dots just began to connect at the same time. And I'm just so excited to take God's message for us on the road and to build the kingdom in ministry in the body of Christ as well as in the marketplace. So if there's any females listening to this podcast that get excited about your organization, FEW, the Fellowship of Extraordinary Women. If they want more information, if they want to get more involved, if this is something that they want to be more active participants in, where should they go? How should they get a hold of you? Can you share some information on that for us? Yes. Please visit our website, thefewwomen.com. And we've got all the information about our monthly meetings there. There's a Contact Us page if you want to reach out to me personally. We meet monthly. We meet in person and online. So we welcome members from all over the country. We also have some international members. So feel free to check it out, ask questions, and you know, join us. We have a network of incredible women who love God. They're on a mission, and we're all growing together. Kimberly, it's been outstanding to have you in the studio for our Beyond the Known podcast. I was very much looking for this conversation. You did not disappoint. It's a blessing to know you, and I appreciate you for being such a profound source of inspiration for so many people. Well, thank you for having me, Paul. I love our time together. You always inspire me right back, so it's a privilege. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, Check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.